Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Tell Me Everything. Hello to all the daywalkers listening on the... Sirius XM app and on demand and on the John Fuglesang podcast. Hello to our evil army of the night. We love to hear from all of you. You can always send emails to our Facebook page or my website, or you can call us. Even if you're a daytime listener, Thea Harper, the goddess is here. Chris Hauselt is running this thing from the South Carolina Bureau. I'm playing at the Belly Room at the Comedy Store in L.A. Right after this show, I'll be going on stage there. So come see that. And, of course, the big sexy liberal comedy tour with Stephanie Miller. This one's called the Save Democracy Tour. Our uh, last show of the midterm season will be at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills, Saturday, the 22nd of October. You can get tickets at sexyliberal.com. And the best part about that show, we have some great guests coming. Rob Reiner's going to be on stage with Stephanie and Hal and me. Adam Schiff, some other surprises I can't say yet. And if you can't make it out to L.A., you can see the entire show streaming through a pay-per-view, which will be really fun. So go to sexyliberal.com and come be a part of the drunken reverie before the midterms, if we can even get that far. All right, let's get to it. Thea Harper, who we missed when she was away, she's back. It's time for another edition of The Minority Report. Let's face facts, cause we know what's the real motives. In the land of the free is for the free lotus. Leave us dead in the street to be the organ donors. They disorganized my people, made us all loners. Still got the last names of our slave owners. In the land of the free is for the free lotus. Leave us dead in the street to be the organ donors. They disorganized my people, made us all loners. Ms. Harper. So great to have you back, Thea. Hey, John. How are you? We missed you desperately. You were gone for so long. Chris wouldn't stop whining. I know. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little pathetic. I know. I know. It's just it's just desperate. You know, I mean, look, I I, I didn't cry. I rocked back and forth and clutched a blanket for a few days, but I, I was OK. But we missed <laughs> you. How, how are you feeling? I'm good. I'm so glad to be back with you. 
I'm glad you're back as well. And I, I, I missed this segment. And when you told me what you wanted to talk about, I was really glad to hear about it because Joe Madison covered this. And uh, I think this is the kind of, this is one of those stories that you bring to us that I'm like, you know, this is something that conservatives should be as angry about as progressives, because in this case, it's about people who have a grievance against the U.S. government. And um, <laughs> it could tell us a bit about this new lawsuit that the great Ben Crump is filing along with the National Black Farmers Association. Yes. So civil rights attorney Ben Crump and the National Black Farmers Association are taking the federal government to court because the government failed to pay $5 billion debt relief that was promised to minority farmers and the American Rescue Plan. The lawsuit claims that the federal government breached its contract with socially disadvantaged farmers under the Amer- American Rescue Plan, which was expected to pay off USD- USDA loans held by 15,000 Black, Native American, Alaskan Native, Asian American, Pacific Islander, and Hispanic and Latino farmers. Right. I mean, that's what I heard. Like, we, we talk all the time about how family farms get run over by these big corporate farms, and especially, you know, black farmers, Native American farmers, who are so frequently at, at the margins of all this. And, and I was excited when we heard that they were going to pay back like 120 percent. Uh, the government would pay up to 120 percent of direct and guaranteed loan outstanding balances as of what? The beginning of last year. So so what happened? Yes. What's going on? So what happened was for over a year, the money has been held up in in a court battle because white farmers complained that it violated white farmers' right to equal protection under the 14th Amendment. So because of that... If somebody else gets some help, that means something's being taken away from me. Right, exactly. So because of that, uh, the government went back on their promise and it left a lot of farmers in foreclosure. And so the government went back on their promise or they've just been dragging their feet about getting the funds distributed? Pretty much. I mean, it's really a shame that, you know, that the group of people that have always benefited are the same group of people that claim reverse discrimination and talk about things being unfair. But when we have uh, when we have like when have things ever been fair for minority communities? Yeah. You know, did you know that according to the Department of Agriculture, 97 percent of the nine point two billion dollars of Trump's coronavirus assistance went to white farmers? Stuff like this has been going on for years. Minority farmers have always been shortchanged. And this debt relief was supposed to make up for that. But if you really think about the money that was owed from the rescue plan, it's only pennies when you take into consideration the years and years of discrimination against minority farmers and all True. they've lost. Um, according uh, to data analysis um, by the consulting firm uh, McKinsey, the number of black and minority farmers have drastically declined over the past century. Um, in 1920, there were more than 925,000 black farmers in the U.S., making up about 14 percent of the farmer population. There were fewer than 49,000 in 2020, representing slightly more than 1% of farmers. And they were more likely to generate a net loss, be given long-term production contract, and operate on less land than their white colleagues. Wow. I was looking at some headlines from a year and a half ago when all this was announced and all throughout 2021. You know, Yahoo had a story called 
black farmers left out of Trump's bailout find relief in the Biden stimulus bill. And that then I saw, you know, in June of last year, the USDA is set to give black farmers debt relief. Uh, Washington Post reported black farmers will receive five billion of the stimulus package. And in May of last year, USDA begins paying out four billion to farmers of color. I mean, is, is the government giving a reason for why this has been so slowed down? Is, do they have any excuse for why the funds have not been dispersed? No, not really. Not that I've come across. Yeah. I mean, I, I know they say because of ongoing legal action, but Ben Crump, who I'd love to get on the show, he's just he's just so great. He let me quote him. He said black and other farmers of color did exactly what the government asked them to do. They maintained or expanded their operations to strengthen America's food supply during the COVID-19 crisis. They believed the U.S. government's promises. They took Congress and the administration at their word, expecting that the government would pay off their debt as the USDA promised in writing. Instead, it was 40 acres and a mule all over again, 150 years later. I, I think it's powerful words. I mean, do you have any hopes that it'll pay off? I, I actually kind of feel like this seems to be an administration that hears complaints, that actually is trying to do right by the people who elected them. I'm looking at decriminalizing weed or the student loan debt forgiveness. I mean, it shouldn't take a lawsuit for these people to get the relief they've been promised. But are you hopeful, Thea? I mean, but I feel like when it comes to black people, it does take a lawsuit for people to pay it, like pay attention to us. Like, you know, I'm glad I'm I'm hopeful because um, because Ben Crump he is um, a great lawyer, yeah. but um, but I, I'm also glad that the farmers are not giving up without a fight. Um, Me too. You know, some of these farmers even bought new equipment because they believe that that this time the government would deliver. And you know, there's so much at stake. Their livelihood is at stake. You know, there's a chance that these farmers can can lose their land. Um, so I, I'm really I'm really hopeful. Um, that they could receive some sort of relief. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's so important. And I know there's some Democratic folks have said, look, the lawsuit's great, but the timing's really bad on this. I'm sorry, it's not. The timing is perfect. Yes, there's an election coming up. This is exactly the time when black farmers should say, hey, the country is promised to do right by us. Now they have to. It it just seems like it's the perfect time. I'm all for embarrassing this White House if need be, because in my lifetime, Thea, the only thing I've ever seen that works is voting Democrat and then kicking their ass every day and not checking out. I agree. I think I'm more hopeful than you are. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think so. It's just something that like we've seen time and time again, where where black people have been shortchanged. And it's you know, it's not just in regards to farming you know, this, the system was really not built for us. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and remain hopeful that there's something that's done and that these farmers can continue to farm and continue to be able to put food on the table. Because like I said, like that's their livelihood. I'm with you. I completely agree. Thea, thank you so much for this story. And um, I trust you to stay on it. Sometimes, you know, the mainstream media gives a little bit of attention to this. I haven't seen much attention paid to this lawsuit at all. And I hope the mainstream media will pick up on it. But I know that you will not uh, let our listeners forget about it. And for that, I thank you. Thank you. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mr. Paul Feig is a man who likes to keep busy. Y'all know him for his work in comedies like the little scene uh, streaming indie Bridesmaids, Mm -hmm. uh, The Heat, Spy, of course, the reboot of Ghostbusters, A Simple Favor, which is still underrated. This gentleman co-created the comedy series Freaks and Geeks and Other Space. He's directed many episodes of many TV shows you love, like The Office and Arrested Development and Nurse Jackie. It would take all day to rattle through the old CB. Uh, (laughs) Constantly making new TV, including The Minx, which is a great show about feminism, rational sex magazines mm-hmm. uh, welcome to Flatch the book it's cocktail time comes out in November yep. and he decided to have uh, a few minutes to celebrate the release of his adaptation of the book the school for good and evil a big budget gorgeous looking film on Netflix based on the 2013 novel by Soman Shainani am I saying and John Shainani, yeah. Shainani? Mm-hmm. thank you very much the film follows the adventures of best friends Sophie and Agatha who are kidnapped and taken to the titular school for good and evil uh, and it stars an insane cast including Lawrence Fishburne, Michelle Yeoh, Peter Serafinowitz, Kerry Washington, and Charlize Theron. I don't know how we got him to sit still for a few minutes. <laughs> Mr. Feig, how nice to see you. Thank you, John. I'm exhausted. After, I know. Uh, did I do all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's the challenge, right? Like, I, I want to set it up properly, but you're, I don't know when you break. I mean, were you always this productive? As a young person, were you writing this much? Yeah, actually, I was. That was that was kind of the, the way to get in, you know, especially, I mean, you know, back when I was a kid, I, I would write... Um, like sketch Saturday Night Live sketches yeah. and, and Second City TV sketches and all that. And that was kind of how I kind of learned how to write. I was actually writing, wrote a, a Marx Brothers movie. You did? Yes. Called An Evening at the Club that was going to fit right between Day of the Races and Night of the Opera. Oh, my God. That's what we need. Is Zeppo in your movie? Uh, yeah, of course. Is Zeppo a character You, you in can't it? cut Zeppo. Out. Because because that's that's post-Zeppo. So oh, no, that's totally. a very crucial but time. I'm old school. Me I, too. I, I want to bring him back. Yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> wow. I could talk about that all day. <laughs> See? Uh, this movie, you shot it in Belfast. Fast and L.A. and Budapest and London. Yeah, um, We're all that's got to be a first for you. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, I mean, Spy, we, we you were shot, all over there. We're yeah. all over the place, but we shot everything like in Budapest. And then we go for two days to Rome and then two days to Paris and just shoot some, you know, cars driving by and people run down the street. So this was, yeah, a little bit more. I mean, we shot mostly in Belfast, but then we we wanted to do a new opening for the movie. So then we took that to, to Budapest and then we had to shoot a couple of other scenes we wanted to do. And one of my actors was in, in L.A. Right. So it was kind of and then somebody got COVID. So we had to go to London to do that. So. 
yeah. Well, that was my next question. I mean, my God, shooting a <laughs> film of this scope, like, I, there is a lot of comedy, there is a lot of action, but we don't really think of sweeping children's fantasies uh, when we think of your work. How how did you guys go about doing this, and how much did the pandemic affect production? Well, it was, you know, it's never easy, but but what we had to do is, you know, what you, you, what you don't want is the actors having to be in masks and all that stuff. Yeah. So what we did is, you know, this giant cast of young people that we had, we basically put them in this big manor house on the harbor in Belfast, which what could go wrong? <laughs> a bunch of young actors oh. living in a house together. Oh, the liability insurance. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm sure it's great. But they were so professional and so wonderful that they actually, now they have these friendships for life. They're so close. They're like They come to all events together and they're, it's very sweet. So, you know, that was fine. I had to direct in a mask the entire time, which is... You did. Yeah, which is kind of, you know, you, you get very good at communicating with your eyes. <laughs> because it's just like, oh, God. But, but it's fine because I, I my, when I direct, sometimes I can't even, I don't even complete sentences just like I'm doing today you know I'll just kind of come up, hey could you uh, and then I'll kind of with my hands and kind of my thing they're like oh, oh yeah okay I get that so it's uh, you gotta really decipher what I'm telling you when I'm directing I mean I was excited to see you taking on this kind of project as a writer and as a director I'm very curious what is it that that makes you say yes to a project at this point and how did this specific one come about for you well this was sent to me by by Netflix who, okay. who kind of offered it to me uh, fantasy was never a genre I thought I was gonna do right but I'm open to all the genres, definitely. But it, to me, it's all about the story. If I read a script and I love the story and I love the characters, then then if it's a different genre, then it's like, oh, and that's exciting because now I get to, to tell it in a different way than I've told something else before. So so it was kind of natural. Well, here's the thing. So many people go like, this doesn't look like it was, you would ever do something like this. I go, this is just freaks and geeks. <laughs> it's just freaks and geeks with magic right. and special effects. You're right. Yeah. It really is. But at the same time, when you're adapting a book that has a loyal following, you yeah. have the pressure of, okay, I'm going to have to leave out a lot of stuff to translate it to the screen. What kind of concerns did you have and were there any challenges in adapting the script? Well, it was very challenging because it's a very dense book. There's just a lot of stuff in that book and it's all super fun and crazy, but like it would cost a bazillion dollars and be 20 hours long if you did it. Yeah, so, you know, I really, I mean, it had already been developed before I got it. It was, you know, the script was in in, in very good starting shape when it came to me. And so then it was like, now I want to go in and really, you know, you know, rework it and do do my thing to it, but the structure was there. But then what I did is uh, Soman, you know, Janani, who wrote the books. I called immediately. I said, like, you got to be my source. I'm I'm going to be talking to you a lot because I want to ask you what do they want? What do the fans? What would the fans miss if it wasn't in there? What are their favorite scenes? What are their favorite bits of dialogue? Right. You know, and all that. And so by working with him, I was you know, it even you know. Then once you're taking something and making it shorter, you've got to do a lot of connective tissue and invent a lot of connective tissue to make it work. And so I'd always go like, are you cool if I do this? And he's oh, I like that, I like that. So it was a really wonderful relationship that a lot of directors don't take advantage of because the fear is always, and you, this can happen, where yeah. the person's so, you know, proprietary over of their course. things. Yeah, but he was great. He was literally like, sometimes he'd go, just throw that out. And you're like, wow, really? You know, so he, he got it. He, he's smart. He <laughs> comes from wanting to be a screenwriter. That's how he kind of started these books. He was originally going to write them as a screenplay and then end up writing them his books. Right. So it was very, yeah, it was a great clever. I mean, somewhere between, I guess, William Faulkner or, 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 you know, and Stephen King. Yeah. You've got to find how malleable an author can be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because if it's like, you know, saving Mr. Banks where, you know, <laughs> she's just coming in and hating everything you do, then yeah, you're like, exactly. okay, why don't you just stay home? <laughs> um, what I liked about the film also in watching it was you didn't, it doesn't feel like you shot this to be viewed on TVs. It is a Netflix production. Right. It'll be, you can stream it on Netflix, but 
but you really shot this to be seen in a cinema. Yeah, no, that we shot this big. I, you know, I want it to be big because, you know, I know we're going to play. I, I, also, when we were making it, we didn't know where we were going to get a theatrical release also. But I just don't want to do small movies. You know, I, I if I can do a small movie, it has to be a small, smaller story, smaller scope. This is a giant scope. And... I didn't want to look like a TV show where, you know, you kind of are, you know, I mean, look, TV's now so gigantic. That's kind of an old thing to say, but no, it's not, but I get it. And especially because people are watching movies on their phones, for God's sakes, it's a, it's a yeah. war crime. Yeah. Paul. It's I know. a war crime. Well, when you're making your, you're kind of going like, Oh, just don't think about how some people are going to watch this. <laughs> well, we had to do this test screening because, you know, we did, we did all our test screenings in theaters with audiences, sure. but they had this do this one that was over the platform where they have like a select group of people that they kind it's of like a virtual to do screening. Yeah, exactly. And you watch the people in their living room watching the movie, and I, it was the most horrifying thing because you just watch people. Everybody's eating, you know, and then like people, somebody will get up and like drift away for ten minutes, and then they come back, and then at the end with the questions and answers, oh, I didn't understand this. It's like yeah, because you were you walked out of the room, you missed the entire setup. So I was kind of like, let's not test it like that anymore. I can only if I have to try to compensate for knowing that people are going to drift away from the the you know the screen every 10 minutes to get food how am i going to tell the story i'm going to have to like keep repeating plot points over and over again so i want to get in a theater where people are sitting in the chairs and make sure they like it and so they do <laughs> it's a it's a very diverse cast and it's a very diverse cast also in terms of accents um yeah. i was like are we in britain are we in colonial america there's <laughs> like wait are we british are we not and i was wondering <laughs> i love that i love when i see that in a film star yeah. wars does it no one ever questions it yeah was it a conscious choice to be geographically ambiguous yeah, it was very, very conscious because I, you know, I wanted I didn't want this to be a British film. That was like I knew because, you know, I don't want the comparisons to Harry Potter. Yeah. I also, you know, my last movie was a British film, you know, Last Christmas That's and right. all that. And so it was going like, well, wait, the town of Gabaldon, where, where, where this thing starts, is not like a, you know, a real town. It could be anywhere. You know, it's just in a fantasy world, just like this other thing is. So I said, let's just make the, the town there in American. You know, so if you, in that small town, everybody's got an American, American accent. There's right. no no British accents in there. And then when they get to the School for Good and Evil, that's a melting pot because it's oh, literally yeah. the offspring of fairy tale characters from every culture <laughs> ever in the world. So it's like, now we can just pour it in. There's British kids there's people with wolf heads yeah, yeah. exactly you got everything uh, yeah so so it, but i really wanted to make sure you know that i kept that american uh thing about it um you know like sophie sophie ann caruso who's you know plays sophie in it when we auditioned i said well try with a british accent because at one point i was thinking about casting a, a british you know actors against her and it just like i was like i don't, I don't like I don't want you putting on an accent. Like I just, I have a, I, I don't like when people put on accents unless they're like Rose Byrne who just does it so effortlessly, right. you know, but I, I don't want people thinking about it because I want to throw things at them when we're shooting or like, try this line, try that. And if they have to like think about their diction and their accent, then you're, you're cutting right. off kind of, you know, part of their superpower. Especially for young performers who might be then focused on the mechanics of, of yeah. the accent instead. Yeah. Cause that last thing I want is, you know, a, a, a performance that's at all false or forced. What, what influence do your, choice to use uh, contemporary music on the soundtrack is it was it designed to speak to the certain characters uh, that it's playing for it's just mo it's just the moments it, it's weird it, it I find music dictates itself I you agree. know because yeah because you know we Teddy Shapiro you know who's done all my movies uh, for instance spy does these lush giant uh, scores and they're gorgeous but then you're like you know what we got Tedros's first fight scene 
it feels like the subways should should play, you know, rock and roll queen. Fantastic. You know, it, yeah. And then you know, so we got Olivia Rodrigo in there at one point, and we got Billy Ellish and uh, Sam Sam Ryder. Yeah, it just it kind of dictates itself, and and they kind of hit at strategic points, right? When you go, when you start to feel like. You're not contemporary. Something contemporary just as a nice refresher. I agree. To also to say that we're not taking this too seriously. You know, Very much I, so. I want people to, we always want to be true to the genre and take it seriously, but I don't want people to think we're humorless. You know what I mean? Right. We're not trying to do the RSCs version of. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, this is maybe like the biggest movie I've ever seen Netflix produce. I mean, it's just, it's it screams bigness. And I'm wondering, yeah. Paul. What is your relationship with green screens like these days? How, how, did, how has this film changed the way you view this? Kind I of don't film like movie? green screens. I hate green screens. I know I mean, you don't. Actually, yeah. my this movie has hardly any green. There's screens. a lot of sets in this movie. We built a lot of sets. real sets. We built those sets, so and they were nice. Just so refreshing. Yeah, yeah. I, I just you know I I said going into this, I said I don't want people in front of green screens. I want that authenticity of people in the in the environments they're shooting in. Because also for me as a filmmaker, I it's I my I can't envision stuff when it's on a green screen. You know. You kind of can, and you got these tools that you can do where you hold up like an iPad or whatever. You know, there's some extensions we had to do on certain things, set extensions, but very little. Um, Yeah, just want them in there. And also down like like the Wolf Guards, you're saying. Those are guys in suits with animatronic heads. You know, and then what we just did is use CG to kind of put a little more emotion in their eyes and and get their ears moving a little bit. So that's my favorite thing to do. Because like at one point we had the wolf, one of the wolves had had a line, and the effects company went in and kind of replace the whole face and it got that really uncanny valley like too much going on so i'd like right. said pull it back go back we we spent a lot of money on these animatronics just augment the eyes and whatever little bits you need to do but i still you know i always say one of the most beloved characters in all of movie dumb is chewbacca and it's just mm-hmm. a dude in a suit that's all it is <laughs> yeah yeah and i always feel for the actors especially young actors having to be on green screens and sometimes it works and then sometimes you know i yeah. won't mention any prequels of famous movies but it just doesn't work all the time and you feel for the actors no it's true you know and some you know we have some creatures that are fully cg in it but even for those like we would build these big puppets for it and i had this puppeteer um named mikey mm-hmm. who would who would run around with these things and act out the, the thing so it helped me because as you know for filming and my cinematographer because we knew how to shoot it and i could figure out the scale and the scope of it and then the actors were at least acting against something that was alive to them and they could you know be have emotion to it you you get a lot of praise for your work with female characters um but what i don't hear people praising you enough for is for your work with female characters relationships mm. i mean oh, to me thanks. that's spy that's that's you know obviously bridesmaids ghostbusters like mm. we it's rare to find a man who is so good at conveying relationships <laughs> of female characters and i keep thinking about sophie and agatha in this film yeah. i mean how how would you describe their friendship because it goes through a bit of evolution. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really great friendship because it's two the two town weirdos basically. One wants to be a princess, so she's like way over the top with these gowns she makes from scratch, and she's got all this big hair that seems ridiculous in the town. And then Agatha's the daughter of a witch, you know, and every everybody in town wants to burn her because they hate witches, and they have this this you know unusual friendship just in support of each other. And Sophie defends Agatha from all the people that you know call her a witch and want to burn her and all that. Stuff. 
stuff. So it's it's a, a, a you know forged out of a childhood friendship and, and that. So when they go to the school, got taken to the school, one Agatha accidentally, and Sophie because she wants to go there. You know, Sophie is very frustrating when we're at the school. But but what is great is her friend Agatha just won't give up on her as, as Sophie's yes. getting getting pulled into you know getting pulled into evil and all this by forces outside of her power. And it just it's it's a lovely story about not giving up on your friends. I'd like to ask you about a movie that was the top grossing live action comedy domestically of 2016. Congratulations. That's oh, a film called Ghostbusters. Thank you. You know what? I know we take the positive. From yeah. That. Let's let's talk about that. The yes. top grossing live action film of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck the haters. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, I just have so admired the way that you have stayed true to it. I mean, most of the people I know who gripe about that film haven't watched it and haven't yeah. seen how gut bustingly funny it is. Were you? You get asked about this all the time. I'm so like, what's the Ghostbusters question? I can ask you. You haven't answered a thousand times. <laughs> no, but, but it's I love talking about it. I, I, you know, I love the movie. I'm very happy with it. You know, no movie's perfect, clearly, but but you know, I, it, we're in the rehabilitation phase right now because it's funny. I just did an event in London the other night uh, in front of a big audience, and when somebody brought up Ghostbusters, I was like, okay, what's going to happen? And like everybody like cheered Cheer. like sincerely, and we're coming up like, oh my god, this is one of my favorite movies. My kids love it. All this. So you know, look, people are there's always going to be somebody that hates something that you do. That one had a particular amount of, of bile. Well, against yeah, it, yeah, considering the year it came. Came out. Well, it was a exactly great year for uh, cowards online who hate women yeah. making mischief. Yeah, you know, but now those people go and terrorize anybody who puts dares put a person of color in. Look what you they know, did to Star Wars. Yeah, the Star same Star Wars, Lord of the, you know, uh, the you know, the new Lord of the Rings Lord thing. Of the Rings, yeah. They just they just can't stop. But here's my problem: it's ma- the media, you have to stop reporting on these people. They they report on oh the haters online or the people online like this. They are such a small group, and you're just giving them voice, and you're just amplifying right. their fucked up message you know but i'll tell you doing political stand-up during the time of trump doing this show at this lovely company during the time of trump i mean you know how it is with corporate media people getting along and doing nice things don't get the clicks don't get the eyeballs so the antagonistic douchebags are the ones who get the ratings yeah it seems like this is going to not just dictate our moods but dictate our content yeah oh no totally i mean just happened to bros like they, they just they'll go out there and the fact that they report it makes it puts off an audience because I, I found that with, with Ghostbusters You're right. there was kind of a thing of like I think some people were just like it's too po- I don't oh I read be, the headlines yeah know. I don't want to be part of a political thing I don't want my ticket to be like a political statement oh, and, and I kind of get that so it just, it's just I, I just you know it's but, a Melissa McCarthy movie for God's sakes yeah, exactly I mean it's got four of the funniest women you know people who are working at the time so yeah so you know it's just I just hope they can stop reporting on that um, you and Christopher Nolan I think are the only major studio directors who wear suits all the time <laughs> uh, and I respect it because I, I've always just felt um it's an advantage men have we have these mm-hmm. i mean it's just it's easier isn't it i oh, mean yeah. you don't have to think about what t-shirt and jeans combo is going to look fresh today percent it's so much easier to put on a suit it takes longer i'm sure but it's easier yeah. you I mean, have I a do, uniform. i've been doing it for so long it's just like i can you know get dressed in like two minutes who so. inspired that uh, it, it was it was a long road. It was funny. I, I used to watch old movies with my mom, like, you know, Cary Grant movies and Fred Astaire and all that. So I loved the way they looked. Then I was a Groucho Marx fanatic and read a biography about Groucho. Which it, one? Um, it was just called Groucho. I think okay, it, it yeah. was. Yeah. And it was. But it, it, he had a line in there that it, it said Groucho never trusted a man who didn't dress well. So it was just like, well, I got to dress like my hero, Groucho. <laughs> and then I just then from there, I just kept doing it all through high school and stuff. Then when I got into stand up, when I started in stand up, I kind of went. 
went. Oh, I I used to wear. Do you remember? I'm older than you, but uh, only a little. Yeah, okay. You remember Willy wear suits? Yes. Yeah, I, that was my thing when I was in in the '80s as a stand-up. I got these Willy wear suits. Remember that when you would roll up the sleeves of on course, your jacket? Yes. And it a bowl I was of too. Y- I was too young for that. Thank God. Okay. Yes. Well, you really missed out on something. It's very spicy. <laughs> you know these kind of baggy pants and and like a bowl <laughs> bolo tie, and that was kind of my my no, it's my true. look until then I started doing clubs and it was like oh maybe I should be the jeans and t-shirt guy and then I kind of went to that and kind of didn't dig being that and then it was after I did Freaks and Geeks that I was like you know what because I, I kind of was dressing like a teenager when I was doing that just to try to get in the heads yeah. of them and it was just like this is ridiculous like you're coming up on 40 at the time and it's just let's just uh, let's step it up let's go back to suits <laughs> I really admire it Thank what you. is your favorite Marx Brothers film I'm, I'm raising a 10 year old and he's re- oh. deep 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 into it now and loves everything I'm wondering nice. if you have a favorite weirdly I think my favorite is Horse Feathers me too I've been I mean Duck Soup I get it my yeah. son loves it but mm-hmm. I, I finally got him to watch Horse Feathers again last week it's just so there's just so many funny ridiculous things in it it's, it's also the only one that doesn't have I think it's the only one that doesn't have a harp solo in it it does not <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> which God bless Harpo but you know we used to get you know, before you know you, you no. watch everything online actually when uh, everyone says I love you I think he plays harp in that one I think he does oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. you're right yeah, yeah. that's right yeah, well, there's one that he's not maybe it's Duck Soup he doesn't play it in. but you know back when we would go see in revival houses Marx Brothers movies it was always like everybody always felt they had to clap at the end of a Harpo Marx I know solo and you're always kind of like oh god can we just cut this out but I think Harpo's always for the children you know like I yeah. always thought like uh, when you're a little child Harpo's your favorite yeah. when you're a kid then you realize how brilliant Groucho is I think yeah. when you get older you realize how subversively filthily brilliant Chico is oh my god it's totally. like the Beatles I, my favorite keeps changing yeah no it's, it's like the Three Stooges when you're a kid you think Curly's hilarious and then as you get older you think you realize Mo is hilarious <laughs> and then you have a fine appreciation for Larry who is always kind of weirdly my favorite student Me too. hey leave him alone all that's birthday this week yeah oh my god really <laughs> um I, I have to ask if you don't mind about uh Please. Dark Army because when I yeah. heard that you were working on this project I got very excited we've seen these universal horror characters used to ill effect in the past mm-hmm. and I know your love for the source, what has been the saga with this project? Ah, the saga has been, it just, I think the studio thinks it's going to be too expensive, Mm. but I, to me, it's not because I want to go back to the old James Whale, you know, uh, thing and it's yeah. do it all with makeup and all that kind of thing. But I, I don't know. They, I think they're just afraid of it. And what happened also is with um, Invisible Woman or Invisible Man, I'm sorry, doing so well in such a small, they, you know, they made that movie very, very yes. for such a budget that I think they kind of go, oh, I think that might be our, our our new model. But you know, they just say they have the um, the um, one coming out uh, um, about the Dracula's sidekick mm-hmm. went out of my head right now. Uh, Renfield, Renfield, yeah. So that's coming out. So I'd be curious to see how that goes. But you know, I, I really, it's funny watching what Marvel's doing with that new werewolf show. Is like, ah, that's what I was gonna do, <laughs> you know. So I'm curious to see that. But I just want to bring back, you know, Bride of Frankenstein is my favorite one of my favorite movies me of too. all time me too it's so good and it's funny and it's everything yeah. it's, oh it's just I mean, son, son of Frankenstein also very underrated oh my god yes because that I mean honestly that's the one that Young, young Frankenstein, Frankenstein is based on you know Mel Brooks used the same sets he got the sets from Young Frankenstein oh, so if you watch those films back to back it's the same sets I did not even realize that yeah. oh my god it's, it's so it, that, that stuff's just so great and it just really you know it ages really well I think personally <laughs> you know Paul we're, we're always in these debates about the era of streaming and what's going to happen to actually seeing a film in cinemas with other people mm. and um, you know those of us who are hoping that never goes away yeah. but what does this mean for comedy 
I mean, we talk all the time about how rare it is for a, a comedy to win an Oscar of any kind, yeah. uh, Best Picture or for an acting award. I think Penelope Cruz is the last person to win an Oscar for a comedic performance. Yeah. I mean, it, should we be worried about this, that as we as cinemas become a place more for events, screen comedy can get lost in the shuffle? Well, yeah, it can. I mean, you know, I was really sad that Bros didn't do well this yeah. weekend. It was a very funny movie. And Billy, my God, he's so funny. And Nick Stoller's a pal and all that. And Judd. Um, but I, 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 I'm not giving up on it. I, I just think, I think it just has to every, everything to get you to a theater has to be undeniable and be an event. And when I say an event, I don't mean it has to cost a bazillion dollars. Right. You know, I look at, you know, and it, they're not necessarily comedies, but to me, Jordan Peele has figured out exactly. how to do it. They're not expensive movies, but the idea is you're just like, I got to see that. And so I think that's what comedy has He's to do. He's doing what Kubrick did. I would say. Yeah. Seriously. Like very his own so. thing, his own people, his own crews. Yep. Very very much so. And, and just being very entertaining, you yeah. know. And, and so I think that's what comedy has. We have to work a little harder now to come up with ideas that don't feel not old fashioned, but just are higher stakes for the characters, if yes. that makes any sense. Yes, of course. So but it's tough. I mean, you know, it, you know, when you say that, and then suddenly somebody will do a low tech comedy that'll become the highest grossing movie of all time. We just don't know. So right. you just have to keep moving forward. Um, Paul, does one know they've succeeded in comedy and cinema when they can release their own brand of gin? Is that is that the yardstick <laughs> we should go for? That is the yardstick, because you want to booze them up before you take them can in Can you here. tell me about Arting Stills, how, how this came to pass, can. please? Because I love the, yeah, you and Bob Dylan, man, you're both doing this. <laughs> That's right, yeah, no, you haven't or his stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's really good whiskey he makes. It's very good whiskey. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm a gin fanatic. Uh, I, I'm a martini fanatic. I have been for 25 plus years. And, you know, we got into gin because I read that, that, you know, martini, a real martini is a gin martini. Sorry, vodka lovers, a vodka martini <laughs> is an imposter. But they're good, but they're an imposter. So, you know, so I kind of spent 20 years traveling around whenever we'd be out of town or out of the country trying all the different gins in the world just kind of trying to find my favorite one and i was always like i haven't quite found the one i know what exactly what i wanted to taste like if i could do it and about five now six years ago finally found a company to do it with me a minhas a distillery out of uh, calgary but we actually make it in uh, monroe wisconsin mm. uh but it's a london dry it's a real london dry and yeah so I, I got to make the 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 formula that i always wanted to make and then on top of that got to design the bottle you know which is it's like really nice decanter type thing and it's a uh, really it's my pride and joy i'm just uh, i'm so proud of it paul i can't wait to sample some yes uh, i wish you'd brought some merch for, I, for the I, room exactly. but that's okay i, <laughs> uh, I want to thank you i've been looking forward to this for so long oh, uh, as someone who is a comedian and writer and fan of great cinema you have just lived the dream for so much of us and as someone who gets away with wearing suit jackets and black jeans you inspire me to wear slacks <laughs> uh school for good and evil is streaming on netflix do yourself a favor do your family a favor and watch it it is a fantasy it's a family film it is a comedy it is a lot of action as well what do you want to do next? What do you what do you do you have bucket lists left? Yeah, oh yeah, oh, Tom, my bucket list is very long. I, you know, there's so many genres I haven't got to scratch yet, you know, a musical, dine to do musical. What kind of musical would you want to do? I want to do a big splashy one. Yeah. Oh, I'm an original one. Yes. That's, I I don't want to do a revival of something. So, they're really hard to, you know, hard to develop, I have to say. But but when when I do it, it will be big and fun and colorful. I cannot wait. I think if <laughs> anyone's able to do it, you're the man. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. It's the best. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So the only animals who kill for pleasure are humans and cats, and cats are the only ones who look cute doing it. Um, The ancient Egyptians stopped worshiping cats as gods over 2,000 years ago, but nobody told the cats, and they remain the only species to have trained Homo sapiens to wait on them hand and foot in exchange for very conditional love. Um, And yet... There's a new film out that challenges the whole idea that dogs are, of course, man's best friend. Uh, They're not. One can be a dog person and love cats. I'm a dog person trapped in a cat person's life. Mark Twain famously said, if man could be crossed with the cat, it would improve the man, but it would diminish the cat. So what I heard about the documentary Cat Daddies, which is billed as a refreshing and timely exploration of modern masculinity, winning awards at film festivals across the country, I was so keen to see it. This documentary follows a very unlikely assortment of men, uh, a firefighter, truck driver, a stuntman, uh, an ad executive who became a cat rescuer, a cop, a social media influencer, and even an undocumented and disabled immigrant who is homeless on the streets of New York City. It is a beautiful movie that breaks down myths about men and cats while showing the emotional support, strength, and joy cats and love itself can provide all kinds of mammals. It's a movie about the opposite of toxic masculinity, and Mai Hung is the genius behind it. She's an L.A.-based film producer. Her work includes the award-winning noir thriller Man from Reno and I Will Make You Mine. She's directed several narrative short films, but Cat Daddies is her first documentary feature. This is a rare movie that you can watch with anyone of any age, of any background, and any ideology. And they'll all be moved. What a great pleasure to welcome Mai Huang to SiriusXM. Oh, thank you, John. I'm so moved that you feel that way. Like, well, this I, is, this I movie know. was made for, for men like you. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know what to expect going into your film. And I'd heard so much. And I've seen the posters around New York City. And it, it occurred to me watching. I'm like, this isn't a film about cats at all. I mean, the cats, we, we come for the cats. There's a lot of great cats in the movie. But it's really a film about what it is to be a man versus the toxic bullshit boys are still taught about what it means to be a man. I'm dying to know what your inspiration was for this project. A lot of it came from my husband who, you know, when we were dating, he was not a cat guy at all. And one day a cat found him. He was feeding it and it only took a week. He was hooked and the rest was history. I've always been a cat person. Um, I was astonished to see this transformation. Um, I mean, he was always a, a great guy, but to see him 
sort of I'm seeing sides of him I've never seen before, like this 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 tenderness I've never seen, um, this compassion I've never seen before. And I just thought there's so many men, I think, who are conditioned to not like cats that I think there are a lot of men who don't know and I don't know yeah. and they don't know the benefits they could have from from being with a cat. And they teach you so many things, you know, whether it's to be gentle and patient and to earn tr earn someone's trust, you know, rather than, you know, what you get with a dog who's very eager to to please you and make you happy. So it's just um, it's just very, very interesting to me. I've also always been obsessed with seeing images of men with cats. It just gives me like this kind of spark <laughs> joy um, mm. makes me really happy. And I think that being on this whole festival tour, you know, I get asked this question a lot. And I think it comes from the fact that I grew up with a very stern father and all the men in my life were very stern and they were kind of conditioned to act a certain way that I just don't feel like is really healthy anymore. Yes, I agree. I, I was raised um, with a mom who had a deathly phobia of cats, like supernatural fear of cats. So we mm. could never be around them. They couldn't walk in our yard. My dad would chase them away. And, and um, you know, it, it occurred to me in watching the film how many men grow up away from cats because they're so scared of getting judgment from their boy friends for wanting to be around cats. I mean, conformity keeps a lot of boys from growing into men. But it's amazing watching the film because so many of these guys are discovering that, you know, okay, if masculinity is about a man being a protector, shouldn't protecting cats count as being masculine as well? Yeah, I think I wasn't expecting the film to take the turn that it did, but it really became about just taking care of your community, you know, whether it's the stray cats that are living and suffering outside, or if it's even your own, you know, mankind and, and somebody that you you meet um, on the street as demonstrated with, you know, um, a couple of the men in, in the film. So I think that, yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting ride. I, I started before the pandemic and didn't obviously didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I think some of the issues that arose up in that year um, just, you know, it just I had to change the movie to to include you know, more than just about being about cats and men, because it's, yes. it's also about our mental health and, and all the other things. Yeah, I read some interviews somewhere where you said that you began to just make a very light, funny film. And then suddenly the pandemic hit and you had to, after already shooting so much of the film, had to let go of your entire original vision. How, how did the lockdown impact the finished film? Yeah, it incredibly impacted it. Um, a lot of the men that, uh, there are a couple of men that we couldn't travel to anymore. It would just be too difficult. And then um, some men just sort of lost, you know, their heart wasn't in anymore after all those things. I mean, not just the pandemic, but, but also just, um, you know, everything that was going on politically and there was an election year and it was just sort of yeah. like, well, you know, I mean, we all know that was a really, really tough year. Um, thank goodness I had my own cats to to help get me through because I was literally stuck at home just working on this movie and trying to figure out, like, am I even going to get to finish this? And as you know, there's a, one of the characters in the film is a cat dad who is also very, very immunocompromised. That's and right. so we were so stressed out about how do we 
finish this film and make it safe and, you know, to make sure that he's okay. And, and, and we just were so worried about him that year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at some point in the film, one of your, one of your uh, gentlemen says caring for others, being able to protect others is a foundation of strength. And I think that's the therapeutic good the film does, but I'm, I'm very curious and I, I don't know a, a, a tasteful way to ask this question. How did you find your men? <laughs> where where yeah. did you cast them? Um, so, you know, some of them I was already following um, on on social media, and I was big fans. And then when I, if I had sort of like, so I wanted to diverse mixed group and different geographic locations. I want everyone to have a different occupation. Since we're following eight to nine men, I knew that they had to be pretty. Um, you know, distinct. And, and so I wanted to mix it up. So if I had kind of a hole somewhere, um, then I just searched hashtags and like hashtag cat dad or cash hashtag men with cats. And it just takes you down this endless rabbit hole of just so many possibilities. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable, but then, you know, you have to also consider like the cats have to be pretty well socialized and, you also don't want all the cats to look the same. So, <laughs> so, true. and then, yeah. And then the one man, um, so David in New York, who's living on the streets with his cat, Lucky, he was actually a tip from a woman that had been helping him for a few years. And she had heard about my project. And I was like, well, we've already started filming and I'm already cast up. This was in 2019. And, and like, I don't know what I could do, but then once you meet him, you just, fall in love with him and he's just the epitome of a cat dad because he yeah. just puts his cat first um in front of you know all of his needs and uh it's, and we just couldn't not we couldn't not try to help I, I challenge any man or woman alive to not be moved by the story of, of david giovanni um he, he's such a beating heart of this film and and yeah he's a man who's living with cancer and cerebral palsy and he's without a home on the streets of New York, and he finds this abandoned kitten and nurses it back to health. And it's you follow him for quite a while. And as you know, there's been a debate for a long time over whether homeless people in cities should be allowed to have pets on the streets, whether shelters should allow people to bring their pets with them. Uh, there's an argument from uh, some of our friends that if people can't provide for themselves with basic needs, how can they care for a pet? And I'm curious how your experiences impacted your opinion on this discussion. Oh, it's uh, I mean, my opinion hasn't changed, but stronger than ever, I think, because you see them together. And and quite frankly, I think that it is important for for men in David's uh, situation to have a pet because that pet is giving him hope. And I yes. think it is the only reason why he's still with us now and we'll be coming to our opening weekend premiere two year, two years later it, it, it's it's uh, it's amazing and it, and i do think it's credit to that cat cuz it's giving him something uh exactly. to keep going to see um a homeless man who is this pure and unselfish in his love and how his love for this animal brings him forward in life and makes him want to do better and gives him hope. I mean, it's a story we haven't really seen in a nonfiction film. Yeah. And um, although this isn't in the film, uh, it's pretty harrowing to hear that there were people who would pass him on the street and actually try to physically take the cat away from him. 
Oh God. It, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, incredible, but, uh, but yeah, this is what's happening. Um, you know, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, another character who is, um, has not had the same struggles as, as David, but is no less inspiring and moving is, uh, Will Zweigart, who's across the mm-hmm. river in Brooklyn. Um, and he is a guy who sort of found a second career in life by creating entire communities in Brooklyn and teaching people how to do TNR, trap, neuter, and return. Uh, I was so glad you included that in the film. How did you come to know about Will and, uh, and his story? So he, so his organization, Flatbush Cats, has a really wide reach all over the world. They have fans and, and people that um, watch their YouTube videos. And I was just one of those people. And this was way before this movie was even an idea. I was watching his videos because um, they're so educational and heartwarming and heartbreaking. And they're so well made. I thought that he was I thought he must be a filmmaker, honestly. But it turned out that he worked in advertising um, was his day job. And I knew very early on when this project was an idea, I had to have Will because he's just such a good speaker, so articulate and his videos are so moving. And I I felt like, okay, he and I are on the same page somehow. And his videos have helped me. I don't even live in Brooklyn, but they help me learn more about uh, how to how to work with or take care of feral cats or, you know, and, and like even there's even people in the movie who they love cats, but they didn't know about TNR or what it was. Yeah. They didn't know about this work and they got into it. So it's it's interesting. I've known about it for a long time, but um, I, apparently we have a lot more work to do and we'll is and his team uh is doing that and they are also working on opening uh an affordable spay neuter clinic in brooklyn so that's a huge um campaign that they've been working on and we've been using we're using our movie to help bring awareness to that i'm even showing their psa in new york uh in the theaters before the show so just to see what they're doing it's amazing I mean, it totally inspired me. I have a couple of feral cats who come into my backyard almost every day. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, y'all can hang out. That's fine. But now I'm wondering, oh, my God, I need to learn if if this is a scenario where someone should trap, neuter and release for their own good and for the good of the community. Yeah, because they're just going to grow and grow. (laughs) So so it's always a good idea to uh, stop it early. And then uh, and yeah, and yeah. Um, they uh, you can know, help with that. I, I think it's fair to say that this movie might not exist without Instagram and social media. And it was interesting in watching it how, in, in so many cases, a whole community, an international community of people who love cats have found each other because of social media. Um, and you both have men who are social media stars and cats who become social media stars as well. Uh, I, I found David Durst's story very interesting. He's he's a truck driver out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, truck drivers keep Sirius XM going. And it, he seemed like the most unlikely <laughs> working man in America to wind up spending his time at his job dressing his cat in outfits and putting it on Instagram. How tell me his story and how you came to cross paths. Yeah, it's absolutely hysterical. Actually, um some of his his Instagram videos have gone kind of viral. So that's kind of how I came to came across them and then they have a website and 
once I looked into them, um, wow, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. The cat is incredibly photogenic, right? And yes. <laughs> and David has this great long red beard. <laughs> and and I just thought, wow, it would just be just they're quite a couple. So I was just like, they I got to try to get them. And I was very surprised that I did because they're on the road all the time. I didn't realize that truck drivers could be on the road for four months at a time and not ever go home. So to me, that's kind of a perfect scenario scenario to have a pet. I mean, what what better way to to not feel lonely on the road? And 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 I'm surprised that they're even allowed to do that. I'm so glad that they are. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, the movie talks about occupational therapy a lot, you know, cats for occupational therapy with the firefighters as well. Um, so I'm really, really glad that David was in the movie because, um, yeah, that cat is so photogenic and they're actually driving up to New York from Florida and they're going to be at the premiere. Yeah. Tora, the trucker cat is her name (laughs) and she's going to be walking the red carpet and evening gown (laughs) and, (laughs) and meeting fans and, uh, and everything. And she has a ton of fans and they, they, a lot of them drive hundreds of miles to meet up with her. It's just, Mm -hmm. uh, it's incredible. It's it's amazing. yeah, they were on uh, Reddit or something. They're like, that's kind of how another way they like got famous was on Reddit. It's just hilarious. Well, and I also just love once again that this is, you know, he's a truck driver. Like this is the most stereotypically masculine profession. And you see this guy who's very butch in every way, but his heart is so open that he's scheduling all these detours to let complete strangers take pictures of his cat wearing costumes i mean (laughs) and then he's got the whole backpack to try to find the best lighting Mm -hmm. to shoot it in i mean it's it's time and again a movie about humanity but i'm I'm curious what did your experience shooting this film teach you about the therapeutic good cats can do i mean besides it makes guys nicer what what specifically therapeutic did you experience oh man i think that well, like I mentioned, like my cat, my own cats really helped me get through because I don't have children and, and my husband and I were stuck working and I was working on this movie during that whole time. And so I think that they they just kept us entertained. They kept comforting us. And I think that there's there's so much that they can do to bring people together, too. I mean, like this movie has brought me so many new connections and um I feel like any guy who likes a cat, I could just instantly be friends with. Um, Yes. And I think like bringing people out, I've been really trying to drive people to see this in the theater because it's just been such a wonderful experience. Like to hear everybody with the oohs and the ahs and laughter and then, then afterwards be able to see and mingle with the guys after the show i just think that for me that's been my therapy because i'm a cinephile and what Mm -hmm. has happened in the past few years have been so disheartening for me um you know i like cat videos as much as the next person but i'm a cinephile all the way i love watching stuff in the theater with other people and i'm so glad to be in new york to like bring that back um because it's just so much fun well, I, I think the film itself is therapeutic. I mean, it shows how cats have brought people together in, in these horrible times. It, it's given purpose 
to people. It's it's given joy and fun. It, it's given a lot of emotional stability during a pandemic and during a lockdown. And it just shows how they can give comfort and be hugely entertaining at the same time. I I, I found your film to be really political um, in terms of how yeah. it actually shows, you know, what a real man is versus, you know, the toxic stereotypes that we are sold all the time. Can I just ask, how did you first develop your interest in filmmaking? Well, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. My parents um, immigrated from Vietnam. I was I was the only one born in the United States. And they were very, very strict. And they didn't really allow us to do very much growing up. And But they did let us go to the movies. So I was always going to the movies. And I think that's that's definitely what developed it. And I was always making little movies with my friends, with video cameras back in the day when you know, when we had VHS and mm -hmm. uh, we'd make little movies uh, just for each other. Um, so I've just always had that passion uh, to make, to, to just make or be involved. I've always run film festivals. Uh, it's just always been my world. My first job was as a film projectionist. So that's, that's why I'm a cinephile. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, so that's just always, always been there. And uh, I'm, I actually almost gave up on this. I almost gave up on filmmaking before kind of having this idea. So really, and I never made a documentary, but I, now that I've made a documentary, I don't think I'm going to go back to narrative. I actually found that this suits me better as a person. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Just being, being able to have a smaller crew, being able to handpick that crew, um, being able to work with, you know, real people, just real down to earth people with no egos as your subjects. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know why I didn't do this before. So, <laughs> so I'm really glad that I, I found, you know, something else. Um, cause I, I was, I was, I was going to quit. So. Well, I, I gotta say, I, I can't wait to see what you do next. I mean, this film has, I, I would dare say it's not just a documentary. Unlike any I've seen it, it has maybe the best credits to a movie ever, uh, because all the cat names showing up in the credits are kind of terrific. But do you know what your next uh, documentary feature subject might be? I would love to do more cat content, but um, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm on this for a while, but my husband is actually making film. Uh, he's making a show right now in Japan. So I need to find something to do in Japan. So I have more, more, even more excuses to go over there. So maybe I'll do something with cats in Japan. It's brilliant. How can our listeners follow you and keep up with all your doings? Um, please go to catdaddiesmovie.com and I'm very easy to find on social media through my name and, and we have a, a really robust uh, Instagram account, catdaddies at catdaddiesmovie. So follow us. I also, I also share stories on there um, following up on the cat dads and the cats. So oh, if you great. ever want to know, yeah. So if you watch the movie and you want to know what happened to them, I'm always posting about them as well. Well, this film is addicting. Um, my mother-in-law is coming to town and I can't wait to make her watch it. I'm going to make my guy oh, friends great. watch it. Cat Daddies is opening in New York City, then L.A., Dallas and San Diego, and then expanding into other theaters near you this fall. Do your brain and your soul a favor. Uh, in this political age, <laughs> you owe it to your nervous system to watch this film. My thank you so much. What a great pleasure to have you. Uh, my pleasure, John. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We are at 866-997-4748. Let's say hello to Bill in New Jersey. Hi, Bill. Thanks for being on hold for so long. That's okay. Good evening, John. Good evening. Um, did you know that there's a candidate for the Prime Minister of Malaysia who is 94 years old? No, I didn't. And this is his third time, third term. Anyway. Oh, he's, so he's, he's an incumbent? No, no. He, he had to skip a turn. Someone... Paid somebody off for something. I don't know. They have and he's he's ninety four. He's ninety four years old, and he's running for prime minister. Wow. Okay. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, I keep it saying, is. look how look how young Joe Biden is. You know, Joe Biden's eighty, but he's running against ninety five year old Herbert Hoover economics. Right. 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 Also, uh, I would yeah, I was calling about this uh, CBN discovery. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's another compound found in marijuana like THC and whatever the other ones, it has a lot of medical uh, effects that are good. For one thing, it's um, a sedative, and it's half the dose of uh, of Valium and only one-tenth the uh, uh, psychoactive things happen. Really? Yeah, and because Valium, you know, is very close in molecule to alcohol, you're not supposed mm-hmm. to drink alcohol when you have Valium because you'll... Right. So, I don't know if there's a benefit, but you could drink it. And as a painkiller, an antibacterial, glaucoma, of course, and psoriasis, and bone tissue growth. What it, oh, what wow. it does is this compound is it, it recruits all these stem cells. when If there's a fracture in the bone, right. it recruits all these stem cells from the surrounding marrow and those turn into bone or whatever tissue because they're stem cells that are needed. So, you know, and, it's interesting because I, I I know of, of about CBD obviously and and CBN. Right, those are right. those are they sell gummies of those to help you sleep already. But this is uh-huh. is this what they call a full spectrum cannabinoid in, in that it it preserves all of the contents of the raw cannabis plant without getting you high. So you could have all the oh I'm getting sleepy benefits of say um, indica 
cannabis, but not yeah. actually have to deal with getting high and getting, you know, forgetful and uh, and, and being stoned and, mm-hmm. you know, having the munchies. Right. Well, I don't know. It says something about waves uh, due to particularly powerful senators, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's You don't have the feeling of being spaced out, so it's not mm-hmm. psychoactive, which is yeah. a good thing. Um, okay. But it forms by uh, dried-out pot. You know, if you leave your weed out and UV rays get to it, the THC turns into CBN. So oh. if you have a plant... I'm learning so much. If it's 30% THC plant, it's going to turn into uh, 30% CBN, which is easy to, you know, uh, extract. So let me ask so, the million-dollar question. Why is this on your mind tonight, Bill? I don't know. It's good news. I'm trying to find some. <laughs> when we talk about Mike Lee, how about him? He's screwed by uh, Romney. And who, who, Oh, yes. Guy. Well, I, you know what? That's actually very interesting because, yeah, uh, Mike Lee seems to think that Mitt Romney is going to run to his rescue after all the abuse Mitt Romney's taken from MAGA because Mike Lee is being challenged for the, the Senate in Utah by, uh, by McMullen. Romney has just mm-hmm. come out and said, I'm friends with both of these men, so I'm not taking sides. And... Yeah, to see Fox News begging Mitt Romney to run to their rescue after demonizing him for so long, I would be delighted. I mean, I don't agree with Evan McMullen on plenty of things, Mm -hmm. but just as a man, he's light years beyond uh, Mike Lee, and he's light years beyond Mitt Romney, too. But he's not going to be a Republican, so I don't know who will caucus with. He's going to be a Republican. He'll be a Republican. He would be. Okay, and last thing, Trevor Noah's leaving. Yes, I know. Yes. I'm very happy for him. He's a nice guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like uh, with Jon Stewart. I couldn't live without him, but I guess somebody else will be just just as good, maybe. I don't know. You know, um, I'm sure they're going to give that gig to a, a, a terrific woman comic. Uh, and I think after three male hosts, I think uh, a woman comic is due. But, you know, there's a lot of great mm-hmm. political comics out there. I mean, I'm sorry Trevor's leaving, but guys, the Internet has made it easier mm-hmm. than ever to find terrific political comedians who, uh, who appeal to anyone. Mm-hmm. So. You know. Oh, yeah. if I could just mention one thing, Pat yeah. Tillman. Pat Tillman. Remember? Of course I do. Remember, it was Iraq, and uh, he got over there. He, you know, he was a football player, and he yes. dropped his career to go over to uh, Iraq, and uh, he found out how bad it was over there, and he was communicating with Noam Chomsky, and That's he right. was going to set up an interview when he came back, and then he got killed. And the uh, Defense Department announced that he was doing something heroic. And, in fact, he was killed by his own troops by mistake. That's correct. But, yeah, it was a friendly fire incident. Pat Tillman called the Iraq War fucking illegal and Mm -hmm. was later shot to death by our side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. This man turned down $3.6 million to play for the Cardinals, and instead he enlisted in the Army. After 9-11. And he, he died in Afghanistan, by the way, not Iraq. That's how bad the oh, Cardinals are, folks. Uh-oh. Too so, soon. Anyway, Too I'm going to go on checking my body for crepey skin, okay? Please do. Yeah, I understand from the, the Jane Seymour as that's the thing you want to do without. Thank you very much, Bill. I'll be going to bed with that imagery of you checking your body for crepey skin as I scream into my pillow. Mm-hmm.